So moms, it's Mother's Day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's a special day. Haywards, we saved this row for you right here. So just come on in. They'll be filing in for the next five minutes. So just don't worry about it. But uh, let let me hear from you real quick, mom or not moms, but maybe uh, children and spouses. Uh, tell me something about you. I guess the moms can chime in on this too because they've got moms, right? So uh, tell me some characteristic that just stands out about moms or your mom real quick. She's a fighter, all right? I don't know if that what kind of fighter that means, but <laughs> I know what mama bear means, but uh, we've got a few mama bears in here. Selfless, I like that. Always there. always there. Mama's always there. Gosh, man, I, I call my mom and she's like, "How's you? How you doing?" And I, you know, I just say I'm doing fine. But then she starts praying for me, and it's like I just start welling up inside. You know, just tears just start flowing because my mom's, my mom's like 83, 84 years old and uh, still alive, still praying for me. Still doing her thing, still being still being mom, but she's always there. One push of the button away. Who? What else? Nurturing. Nurturing. Yeah, right on. From day one. Anybody else? Patience. Patience. <laughs> you think that. <laughs> You think that patience is for like the younger ear, years, like four and five years old, two years old, but I guess it's all through life, isn't it? Finding that out, but as I watch you guys, of course. Tireless. Tireless. Sure about that? And you tired right now? Always tired, but it doesn't stop them. Doesn't stop them. It's good. Beautiful. That's that's awesome, man. Did you hear that, Mom? It's good stuff right there. <laughs> Stop that. Anything else? Caring. Caring. Absolutely. Forgiveness. For, oh, yeah, forgiving. Forgiving. Forgiving, forgiving. Anybody else? That's it? There's uh, there's one word, I think too, that best describes moms, and it's I, I guess it's a a biblical word. But I think about the gift of mercy, just mercy, like I would say that. Most moms in here, you can go and just tell them anything about what's going on in your life, and you're still going to be their kid, and they're going to give you mercy. When you're, when you're hurt, you run to mom, typically. <laughs> she gives you mercy. When you're struggling, mom will give you mercy. 
when it feels like the world is against you, mom will be there on your side, giving you mercy. And it's like Luke said, it's it's like it's like never ending. It's twenty four seven. You can literally call your mom anytime. Now I get it that some in here are grieving because they've lost their moms. I get that. And I pray for you today. I pray for you today because uh, I know it hurts. So, uh, Snow, we're, we're here with you. We're here as a community. I can think back um, the, one, the one time when uh, I, I pro- it probably changed for me even as an adult. You, you have times when you just become broken, you know, as, as an adult. You just, and that was in September of 2000 for me, and I literally, literally found myself under my office desk like I was holed up under my desk and I reached up and grabbed my phone and called my mom and just wept. And, you know, she tries to find out what's wrong and you can't talk and she just starts praying for you. And uh, there's just something about a mom loving you and caring for you. And uh, the cool thing is is that... uh, I know as I get older, my mom will be with Jesus, that's for sure. And uh, I still know that she's going to be with me. still know that she's going to be with me. So even though we packed up and left some 650 miles away from her 27 years ago, uh, she's only a phone call away from me, and I'm fortunate to have that. But I would say my mom, my mom's gift is, is mercy. She's always shown mercy to me. And that kind of brings us to where we are in this passage of Scripture today as well. It kind of just flows right together there. But we've been going through the Gospels, taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sewing them all together in chronological order the best that we can. Theologians can't pin down every aspect of it. But you can take those four books and you can compile them together because they're what we call synoptic, they're very similar. Uh, and so what we've done, there's uh, gospel, harmony of the gospel books out there that some of you have purchased and bought, and you can clearly see where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all kind of coincide with each other, some omitting stories, some having just the stories by themselves. But we've compiled them all, and we've taken this journey of Jesus being born, grown up as a, a, a child, and and now he has started his public ministry and because of his public ministry saying I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God I am the Son of Man uh, these Jewish people have been for thousands of years waiting for the Messiah, waiting for him to come and Jesus doesn't look anything like what they expected and so they don't think that Jesus is their Messiah they don't think that he's the Savior. But now they've come to this point where Jesus has done some pretty miraculous things, and he's got their attention. So not only have they begun observing, but now they've begun asking questions. Can this guy really be? Yet in the in their minds, they've already made up their minds that he's not. 
They've are, they're already convinced that Jesus is not the Messiah. That's talked about in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That's talked about in Deuteronomy 18, 18, that they have memorized. They know there's a Messiah coming, but he doesn't match up with what our expectations are. And so now, Jesus has done these things, and then as last week we talked about this book right here, this is like uh, the Mishnah. The Mishnah being the oral tradition of all the Pharisees, the, one, the rules and laws that were added. There's 800 pages here. The rules and laws that were added to the Mosaic Law, Mosaic Law being the Ten Commandments, also the laws that are given in Leviticus, 613 laws, they didn't feel like God's law was enough to save them. Like they couldn't keep those laws, so they needed more laws, and they came up with these laws. And as I mentioned last week, there's one law that's talking about keeping the Sabbath holy, and that's what we're talking about today, keeping the Sabbath holy, focused on that one specific day. They added 1,500 laws to keeping the Sabbath holy. They memorized those laws. They knew those laws better than anybody. That's what the Pharisees did, the scribes who wrote these, the Sadducees. They knew these laws. And the thing is, is Jesus didn't care anything about the oral laws. He didn't care anything about these laws. He cared about the laws that God had given Moses, the Mosaic Law, because he's a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. He grew up as a Jew. He knew the law. He knew God's law, and he knew it just as well as anybody else. In fact, like when he's 12 years old, he's sitting in the temple talking to the Pharisees about the law. He taught the law. He didn't teach the oral tradition. He was greatly opposed to the oral tradition. And that takes us to where we are today in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. It says, at that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. You realize that the Gospels were written years after their experience. Like, when we talk about oral tradition, these stories were like remembered by the disciples and then written down years later. The amazing thing is, is that we know, we, we know that God was a part of that because they're so similar. How can these men who are writing stories years later be almost word for word? That God had to play a part in writing these stories. It says, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Let's make sure that we understand that it's on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the heads of grain. You know how you do that. You walk through a field and you take the head of the grain off and you actually just rub it in your hands and get the, what do they call it, chafe off of it. And then there's grains there. And they would literally eat these grains straight off of out of the field. That's what they were doing. But you see what they did is, one, is they picked. Two, they rubbed them together. And you know what that was called? Work. 
work. And we don't work on the Sabbath, the Jews believe. I think I've told you this before. One of the crazy things, when we went over there uh, six years ago, Micah and Corey and I, we got on the elevator on the Sabbath, and the elevator stopped on every floor because it's work to press a button even today. Like, they still carry on those laws today, those laws, the oral tradition today. It's crazy. It says, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. <laughs> I, I think this is awesome. Jesus is somehow trying to figure out a way to communicate to the Jews that he is the Messiah and convince them of this. And because of their resistance and their denial of him as the Messiah, now he's like saying, okay, I've got to cause some type of controversy to have some kind of conversation with you to come to a point of belief that I am the Messiah. And so literally he is now, I don't care if you break the oral law. It's going to only cause a conversation with the Pharisees. It's only going to cause them to get roused up and stirred up and to want to like discuss their law versus my father's laws. And he said to them, haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priest. Jesus calculated this sentence. He knew that David, who was the king of the Jews, was up on this pedestal of the Pharisees, that they almost idolized King David. You even go over there now and you stand at the tomb of David and there's Israeli guards with machine guns. Like, David was a big deal. And Jesus says to him, Hey, didn't you see what, like, David did? Well, look, let's look. First Samuel chapter 21. Let me show you Jesus is going back and he knows that they know these historical books. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1, it says, David went to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? And David answered Ahimelech, the priest, The king gave me a mission, but he told me, Don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at a certain place. Now what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. And the priest told him, There is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread. But the young men may eat, eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. Now, get this, the concept consecrated bread. You know what bread that is? That's the bread that's found in the temple. It's like the holy bread. 
And the priest is saying to, to David, he's like, uh, we don't have any like daily bread, outside bread, but there is that that's in the temple that's a big deal. And David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us. They're in battle. They don't have time for women in relations. He says, I swear that women are being kept from us as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission, so of course their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. So now... Jesus didn't have to read this story to him like I had to read to you. They knew this story about David. They knew that he went into the temple, and they knew that he ate the bread, the holy bread that was consecrated. And he's saying to them, if David can do it, why can't I do it? I am the Messiah. I am greater than King David. You can't accuse David of doing the work. Or maybe you can. But if you can, then I can also. And then he says in verse 5, Or haven't you read in the law on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? (laughs) Think about it. Am I working today? Most of you would consider me working today, right? Like, literally, I came in here and drug things off the trailer and hung. I'm working today. How can I be a priest, a pastor, and not do anything on the Sabbath? I get it. Today's not the Sabbath. Saturdays were the Sabbath. I, I get all that. But if this is the holy day that we're supposed to keep holy, how how can I do what I do? It doesn't even make sense. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, the priest works hard on the Sabbath, yet he's innocent. He's saying, can't I do the same thing? He says this. You see, my God is a God of mercy. And even though it says keep the Sabbath holy, God's law says keep the Sabbath holy, my God is a God of mercy. And so any deed that is done out of mercy on the Sabbath, it still falls in line with who God is. I'm okay. I'm just doing deeds of mercy. He says, but I tell you something greater than the temple But I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, and then he quotes Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's the heart of my God. He cares more about doing deeds of mercy than he does this sacrifice of not working. He says... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent, 
there's no way that you would have condemned the priest because many of you have done the same things on the Sabbath. He says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of Sabbath. Now, if you take Matthew and you compare it with Mark, Mark adds this one verse. Mark 2.27 is in this same story, and it says, Then he told them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Let me clue you in on something. This is all about the Old Covenant, right? The New Covenant hasn't been ushered in because Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't been laid to rest. He hasn't risen from the dead. He's not sitting at the throne yet next to God. And the Holy Spirit hasn't come in and and living inside of the believers. That hasn't occurred yet. That doesn't happen until Acts chapter 2. So now we're looking at Old Covenant things, and it says the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. I want to tell you something. And if we go back to like Hebrews chapter 4, I see that there's something totally different about the Sabbath. We've trained and learned in our own simple minds that the Sabbath has to do something with a day. Keep that day holy. But God said there is a Sabbath rest that is to come. And I promise you, I promise you that churches all over this world are playing this game that the Sabbath is this day and we keep this day holy. We go to church. This is the day that we go to church and we be good and then the other six days we just do our normal life and then we come back and repeat the process. All that's changed since the new covenant. Literally, my life, 24 hours, seven days a week is Sabbath. Like, I get it right now that it's Sunday. It's a holy day for us because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. It's the day that we worship. But do you not get the concept that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Living God, has chosen to come down here and take residence inside of me simply because of my belief in Jesus? And because there's this Holy Spirit that lives inside of me now, that resides in me and says, Hey, Rusty, you know, you've messed this thing up for years, and sometimes you still continue to make those own, your own choices and do that. Let me do it for you. I promise you, if it's me up here today, I, I get it. I'm standing here, and I'm talking. I'm reading my notes. I've studied. I've prepared. I'm trusting. But if it's me that's spitting these words out, you're in for a lot of trouble. But I'm literally resting right here, right now today, and loving every minute of it. Because I believe it's the Lord speaking through me. Call me whacked out, call me weird, whatever you want to call me, I'm okay with that. But I'm to that point in my life where I trust the spirit that lives in me to live my life for me. I'm learning on a day-to-day basis how to live my life by another source. My flesh pattern is that I try to do it myself. I'm trying trying less and less to do it in my own flesh pattern. I'm trying to trust. 
the Sabbath was made for man. It's made to rest, to keep it holy. I do that every day. And then we go to the next story. Let's jump back to Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a paralyzed hand. This is a man who, I'm not sure what it looked like, but it was obvious to him and to everyone else that he had a deformed hand. He couldn't use it. And it says, there he saw a man who had a paralyzed hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, who's they? This would be the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They would ask him this question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Wouldn't that be considered work? (laughs) And Jesus said to him, What man among you, if had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? Like, let's be reasonable here. Let's think about this. Surely, if one of your own sheep, like, fell into a hole, you would certainly come to its rescue. You're not going to, like, oh, we have to wait till sundown. to. You're going to pull the sheep out of the hole. A man is worth far more than a sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Again, we're seeing an ad deed of mercy here. And then he told, out the, he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. Like, how long had it been like this? How, how long had it been like that? Years? His whole life? Not sure. But now all of a sudden, he stretches out his hand and everybody in the room is like going, Oh, look at that. It says, So he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. You see, because Jesus came in and now he's wrecking their whole plan. You know, literally, think think about this. Their whole job as Pharisees and scribes is like run it, doing the law, working the Sabbath, doing all these things. If the Messiah really comes, he's going to put them out of work. So not only are they thinking that he's not the Messiah, but man, they could lose their ministry as a Pharisee. Mark chapter 3, verse 6 says this in that same story. Different writer, it says, immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against them. You get that, right? Pharisees are the Jews. The Herodians are the people that are of King Herod. It's like two totally different political groups that are saying, hey, we're going to go like work together to take this man out because... He's destroying every concept and idea that we have of who the Messiah is. How can we destroy this man? It's like Democrats and Republicans working together to get rid of this one man. Hmm. And then Mark chapter 3, verse 7. 
says, Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea. This would be the Sea of Galilee. And a large crowd followed from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, beyond the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Those last two cities, guess what? They're from Gentile territory. Like the Gentiles are following Jesus, the Jew. They're listening to him. They're believing in him. They're believing that he is a savior. That he's the Messiah. It says the large crowd came to him because they heard about everything that he was doing. It's almost like a magician. It's like this dude does magic tricks. He's like healing people. He's doing crazy stuff. He's healed a leper already, a Jewish leper. He's made a blind man see. He's he's healed a couple of paralytics already. says, the large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so the crowd would not crush him. There's so many people, it's like a rock concert. They're all wanting to touch him. They're all wanting to be healed. And he's like telling his disciples, just get a little boat and we'll just take it out into the sea just a little ways off the land so I can have some space. And since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they possessed... Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, those possessed fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Wouldn't that have been an amazing sight? Like literally demon-possessed people calling out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus was telling these evil spirits, these demon-possessed possessions, hey, don't you even go out and tell people that I'm here. It's not my time. I've still got ministry to do here. If you go out and proclaim this, it's going to get bad real fast. The same story in Matthew chapter 12 Verse 15, it says, When Jesus became aware of this, he withdrew from there. Huge crowds followed him, and he healed them all. He healed them all. You know that there's some kind of energy source that's like going out of Jesus when he heals them all. Like, they've all got to tell him their stories. (laughs) You don't just like heal them. They have to tell you their story, right? You know how draining that is, right? There's this energy source that's going out of Jesus. And again, he warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he quotes Isaiah. Chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, it says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen. Jesus actually says in Isaiah 42, the chosen one. Jesus is saying, I am the one chosen by God. I'm him. I'm the one. 
He says, my beloved in whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Not just the Jews, but the Jews and the Gentiles. He will not argue or shout and no one will hear his voice in the streets. In other words, he's going to be denied. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah, the Savior, would not be heard. He says he will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. The Jews have chosen at this point to reject Jesus as the Messiah. Yet Isaiah has prophesied that other nations will receive him as the Messiah. The Jews won't receive him. The Gentiles will receive him. Jesus is literally quoting Isaiah to the people and saying, Do you see this? This is what's happening. It's crazy. And then we close with this last story. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, it says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray and spend all night in prayer to God. I said there was an energy source that went out from him. But every time we find out that Jesus goes away, he gets secluded, usually in the middle of the night, and he just prays. Nighttime is the best time to get away. I get up at 4 a.m. on Sundays. Nobody's texting me. Nobody's sending Facebook messages. Nobody's, nobody's bothering me. The house is quiet. It's dark. And it's just me and the Lord. says during those days he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God when daylight came he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them this is it he's just had a few disciples at this point but now he's got all 12 he also named them apostles a disciple is somebody who is a student what I what I'm calling right now is a student of Jesus that's a disciple you can be a disciple of anything but a disciple is a student of Jesus. But he also calls them apostle. The difference between a disciple and apostle is this. is An apostle is actually one that hung out with Jesus. Can I be an apostle? <laughs> yeah, I can. I'm hanging out with Jesus right now. I can be. But literally, we're talking about in the physical sense right here that these are the men, these are the men that are hanging out with Jesus. And he names them Simon, who is also named Peter. You may also know him as Cephas. And Andrew, his brother. James and John, remember, they're the sons of Zebedee, the fishermen. Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew the tax collector, and Thomas, everybody knows Thomas and he has an adjective on his first name, which is what? Doubting Thomas, and we'll get to that. James the son of Alphaeus, 
and Simon called the zealot. He, he absolutely was all about this. Because they were all, the disciples were all taught this. They were all taught this. Now they're having to unpack, they're having to unpack what's God's law and what's man's law. Are you with me? In my ministry, I've had to unpack what's truth and what's not truth. I've been taught a lot of things. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, here's the key thing. Luke didn't say this, but Mark did. When Mark lists the disciples, he says this in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. He says, he also appointed 12. He also named them apostles to be with him to send out to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. Here's the key. Luke didn't say this. Mark said this. He appointed 12 disciples to be with him. I want you 12 guys to hang out with me. I want you to see how I respond to people. I want to teach you. I want to show you how to walk here on this earth. I want to teach you that I am the Son of God. That I am the Messiah. Because Jesus knew he was going to be gone. And if this truth was going to carry on, it was going to be these 12 men that carried it on. And the only way that you're going to learn is hang out with me. If you hang out with me, you're going to talk about me all day long. You're going to preach. You're going to pray over people. You're going to cast out evil spirits. You're going to do amazing things just as you've seen me, as you've seen me do it. All I want you to do Hang out with me. Look, God's called me to do ministry just as he's called you to do ministry. And the only way that works is you hang out with Jesus. You know him. You know him inside and out. You focus on him. You live with him. Everything you do centers around Jesus. I have a tendency in my own flesh to make it about me. I want to make this about me. It's not. It's about me knowing my Father, knowing Jesus, knowing the Spirit that lives inside of me. I do that by reading this. I do that by hanging out with you. I do that by meditating. I do that by walking outside and looking at God's creation. I just get to know him. That's all he wanted those 12 guys to do. Just 
hang out with me. Father, my prayer is that today we just learn to, one, uh, rest in you, trust in you, but to do that, I pray that we get to know you. I wish that you could just give us a pill that we could take, just like you did Paul, and just understand this whole thing completely, and we could just trust and rest in you. I pray that myself and my friends know you more and more every day. That we can focus on you, that we can make you the center of our lives, our daily thoughts, everything that we do. Let it be about you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.